Welcome to the Moms of Tweens and Teens podcast. If some days you doubt yourself and you don't know what you're doing, if you've ugly cried alone in your bedroom because you felt like you're failing, well, I just want you to know you're not alone and you have come to the right place. Raising tweens and teens in today's world is not easy. And I'm on a mission to equip you to love well and to raise emotionally healthy, happy tweens and teens that thrive. I believe that moms are heroes and we have the power to transform our family and to impact future generations. If you are looking for answers, encouragement, and to become more of the mom and the woman that you want to be, welcome. I'm Cheryl Gould, and I am so glad that you're here. Hi, friend. Welcome to the show today, and I am so glad that you're here. And if you have a kid and you're wondering if they have ADHD, or maybe you're thinking, hmm, should I get them tested? Or you just received an ADHD diagnosis, or you're currently dealing with a kid who you know has ADHD and you're having challenges. Well, when I started thinking that one of my kids had ADHD, it was an overwhelming and scary time for me. I was asking lots of questions like, do they need to get tested? And if they do get tested, then how are they going to feel? Are they going to think something's wrong with them? And how do I find a good person to test them? And are the teachers seeing, seeing it in the classroom? And then once my daughter was diagnosed with ADHD, how do you navigate the IEP or the 504? And then what kind of support do they need that's ongoing? How do you get that support? Oh, whew, there are so many questions. Well, if you're relating, I have a very special guest back on the show for the second time, Dr. Noreen Russell. And she is here to talk about her new book, Asking the Right Questions About ADHD Before, During, and After Your Child's Diagnosis. Noreen has over 20 years of experience working in youth development and is an executive functioning and ADHD expert. But not only that, she is also the mother of two atypical children who has personally walked this path and gets it. In this interview, she shares what to do step-by-step as you go through this process. So let's dive in. Well, Dr. Noreen Russell, welcome back to the show. I am so happy to have you here. I am so excited to be back. It was a pleasure to be here last time. You're a great host, and we're going to have a great conversation today. We are. And I have to say that I heard from so many moms, so many listeners that said how helpful the interview with you was. And they were, I shared it, and then they were like, you got to listen. And then, Actually, some moms were asking some ADHD questions, and then they they actually picked your podcast link and were sharing it. You have to listen to this. You have to listen to this. And then, yeah, so 
this is going to be such a good conversation because now your book is out asking the right questions about ADHD before, during, and after your child's diagnosis. Well, hopefully they'll find that to be just as helpful. You know, you know, we're the same. We just want to help. We know how how lost it can be, you know, to have this diagnosis. And often this diagnosis comes with another diagnosis. And it's just so important to provide parents and caregivers. And eventually my goal is going to be teachers um, with um, what can we do to really help these kids who they're not lazy, they're good kids, they have such important strengths. And we need to start looking at it from a brain perspective, not from a behavior perspective. I love that. We'll get to that because I think we need to talk a little bit more about that as well. Um, but I want to say what I like so much about your book is how easy it is to read, how you ask so many of the questions that moms are asking that I was asking all those years ago before very many people knew anything about ADHD, working with parents as kids are diagnosed with ADHD and they're terrified. They don't know. Well, even before the diagnosis, they're scared to get them tested. So. I do want you to start though with why you wrote the book. Let's just let's start there. Okay. You know, people have said to me for a long time, you should write a book. And I have always thought of myself, I'm a practitioner. That's what I do. I take information, I can translate information. I'm really good at taking complex information and distilling it into do you get this? Do you understand this? Do you know what the next action step is? I just really didn't think that I had anything to say that would be worthy of writing a book. I never felt like, oh, I, I need to write a book. I want to be an author. But over the last several years of being in practice, you know what's happened? What happens is we do probably four or six intakes a week, more or less, but about that. And we see 125 students right now a week at the practice. And I found myself answering the same questions over and over and over again. And I found myself telling parents, ask the doctor this question, ask school this question, ask your pediatrician this question. And then finally, I thought to myself, I want to write this all down so that I can have this to give to parents in the practice so that they know all the questions that they should be asking people on the team. So it wasn't even, I mean, ultimately it wasn't like I thought, oh, I have some genius solution or I have something, you know, to say that's so personal or autobiographical. It was like, gosh, People are asking questions or, and this is a little more common, they don't even know that they're supposed to be asking questions. Oh, and so yeah. mm -hmm. I wrote the book to say to parents, listen, as hard as it is, you have to be your child, your teen's advocate. You might not want it to be that way. It might feel really hard. You might be used to just doing what the doctor says or trusting school, 
but it's you, you're the advocate. And so I wrote the book and I hope that it empowers parents to be the advocate that, that their child or their teen needs. So that's why I wrote the book. Yeah, I love it. And, and the tricky thing is it's such a highly emotional time and it's so confusing. I mean, like you said, you don't know what questions to ask and you use such a great analogy of if you break your arm and you go to the doctor and give that analogy because it's really good. Well, right. Let's say, let's say you have a kid who plays sports and they break a bone. They have an injury on the field. Let's say they think that they've broken their arm, right? I don't know about you. I don't even know what these arm bones are called or what yeah, the wrist yeah. bones are called. I don't know anything about it. What I do know is if I was the mom of the kid who had the baseball injury, we would either take him to the hospital or they'd call an ambulance. I know we would arrive at the emergency room. Somebody would take that kid for an x-ray, right? Nobody would ask me, well, do you want an x-ray? You could have an x-ray. Do you want an x-ray today? You could try an x-ray tomorrow. Well, you could try sitting him closer to the x-ray machine and see if that works, right? Nobody's asking me if if I think we should have an x-ray, right? They're taking him to the x-ray and getting the x-ray. If it's more complicated, they're getting an MRI. Nobody's coming and asking me anything about what sort of imaging needs to happen, right? Then the orthopedist comes in. And they're not asking me, well, do you want to see an orthopedist or do you, you know, maybe want to see a cancer specialist or do you maybe want to see a psychologist to talk about how you feel about the possibly broken bone? Nobody's asking me any of that, right? The orthopedist is showing up. He or she shoves the x-ray up in the, you know, the mirrored light and says, your child has this broken bone. Here's where it is. What we're going to do is we're either going to wrap it or we're going to put it in a cast or you're going to need a cast with a sling so that it's immobilized. And that's going to stay on for four or six weeks. Nobody asks you, well, do you feel like having the cast on for three weeks or six weeks? Right. You don't have to decide any of those things. Right. You leave the hospital. The cast is on. You have, you know, the post break directions. When can they get in the shower? How do you wrap it to get in the shower? What should they avoid? You have the notice for school. This kid has a broken arm, right? You might have the prescription already for physical therapy, or you might wait for the follow-up appointment to get that. At no point in the broken arm saga, has anyone asked you to be in charge of the broken arm, right? Yeah. You get an ADHD diagnosis you get this lovely report. If you've seen a psychologist, you have pages and pages of things you could do that are recommendations, but it's not a treatment plan, right? They're recommendations. If you go to a neurologist, they're going to rule out certain things, but they're not going to be looking for the learning differences. You know, that's the other thing is you have the broken bone, you're going to the orthopedist, you have ADHD, you're like, I don't know, the neighbor went to a neurologist, this neighbor went to a psychiatrist, this neighborhood went to a clinic, this neighbor went to the pediatrician, the broken bone, and the treatment of it 
That's what we could expect from ADHD because you know what? There are actually treatment logarithms. There are best practices with ADHD, but I'll bet you most parents have no idea that there are actual scientific best practices for ADHD other than, well, you could put them at the front of the room. Well, you could get a 504. You could have a medication consultation. Sure, I could, or I could lay in bed and cry because all of you are making me feel so helpless and at a loss as to what to do. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That just summarizes it. I mean, as you were saying all of that, my stomach was churning, remembering how I felt. And you feel like everybody's giving you a different answer too, or telling you what to do. They are giving you a different answer. Yes. And then I love how you broke it up into three different parts. So explain that you have before the diagnosis, what made you decide to talk about that? Well, because right, we know, even though we wish it wasn't like this, we know there are parents who are afraid of the diagnosis or there are parents who are just hearing, well, it could just be this year. It could just be this teacher. It could just be this school setting, right? There is so much that goes on in our hearts and our souls before we make that decision to have a diagnosis. Now, for me personally, it was so abundantly clear that we had a raging case of ADHD that thankfully I didn't have to make a choice, right? But there are the majority of parents out there are having to make a decision. Do I get an evaluation or is this normal? And then you know what? There's that weird thing that happens where schools, public schools, can't really say to you, yes, you should go get an evaluation because then they're on the hook to start the IEP evaluation process, right? So they're like, well, they talk in code. You could wait and see if he grows out of it. Or, well, you could ask the pediatrician. Or, well, you know, I can't say. Well, a parent isn't trained in how to decode educators speak, right? You think if you're like I was when my kids were in K first, second, well, the teacher's going to tell me if there's a problem, right? Just the same way the teacher tells me if there's a problem with reading, writing, or math. Well, that's not the way the legal system is set up in education. So the whole first part of the book deals with before the diagnosis. Should we get an evaluation? Who should we go to for an evaluation? Should I wait to get an evaluation? And then, of course, the big question that comes up for so many parents, if we get a diagnosis, what does that mean, right? Is my kid less than? Is my kid lazy, not smart? So, yeah, we started there because I think that's where (laughs) I'm going to be a little tongue in cheek. I don't know that most parents are as blessed as we were with the fact that, oh yeah, this is clearly ADHD. You have no choice. You are getting an evaluation. Most (laughs) parents kind of sit there for a year, two years, six years, and are like, I don't know if I need an evaluation. The nice thing is the American Academy of Pediatrics in the 2019 white paper is so clear. If there are signs, if 
there are any behaviors that look like it could be ADHD, get the evaluation done. The same way you would with glasses. If you're not sure if your kid can see, you don't wait six years and think, well, maybe they'll be fine. You go to the eye doctor, you get the evaluation. ADHD needs to be exactly the same way. If you're seeing symptoms where this could be ADHD, then you go get the evaluation. The science is very clear. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I think that we get in our own way with our own fears. Like I remember when one of my kids was diagnosed before they were diagnosed, I'll just be 100% transparent here. I was like, oh, I don't want them if they get to, you know, diagnosed to feel like there's anything wrong with them. Well, they're already feeling they're, you know, they're already feeling that way. It was more of my stuff and my, my, you know, concerns and how that this kid would feel, but actually they felt the opposite. They were like, phew, you know, now I understand. And now we're like, okay, now we can figure out, all right, what might be some next steps. But of course we needed your book because things would have gone a lot more smoothly, but you know, it was, it was, yeah, it was a process, but not to be afraid because just thinking they're lazy. It's like, there's a reason that they're not able to succeed. There's a reason that they're not able to do whatever it is that they're not able to, you know, not, would you say, am I saying it like you would say? Absolutely. And you know, what I say at the practice is we want to be able to move that boulder out of the way because whether or not you have done the evaluation, if the ADHD is there, it's there, right? So for me, I'd rather know so that then I can know what am I going to do about it, right? As opposed to this endless, like, we need to try harder. We need to heap on tutors. We need to micromanage. We need to turn the whole family into kind of this child's secretary and reminder service. That is not good for a family. It's not for a family. It ends up causing so many power struggles and fights and arguments. Um, When you start working with a family and you, a kid comes to you and they're getting, the parents are getting support, the kid's getting support. Do you see a, a big difference in the family dynamic? Oh, you know, when we see it is it's right during intake is the moms will start to cry and they'll be like, I feel like I'm finally somewhere where somebody gets it. They really, truly get it. I feel like you understand that my kid is not stupid. My kid is not lazy. My kid is not trying to be difficult. And the word that people use all the time, and you know, this just means the world to me, is they feel hope again. They feel hope. And and then there's this little period of, you know, about a month or so that's hard because we're like, now you're out. Change your password on the school portal. Have your co-parent change the password. Do whatever it takes. Turn off the notifications. You're done. You're done. Because we work with kids in middle school through college. If you're investing in a coach, You need to let that coach teach the student the skills that they need 
and give you what needs to get communicated to the medical professional because medications, first line treatment, right? So we want to give information about, do we have good symptom control, but that first month is hard. And right now is hard because we're, um, you know, our, our Southern students like Florida and, you know, other Southern states, they've started and the moms have already started with the long text messages. Well, you know, Damien didn't turn this assignment in last week in school. He didn't get the syllabus signed. You know, he doesn't have his pencils. And I'm like, Andrea, I love you. I do. And this is a really hard, hard, this is a hard transition. We are asking you to work as hard as we are asking your son to work, but you have to step out of it because that is an important part of giving the child the confidence to think my coach is going to teach me how to do this. So you don't need to send us the list of five things that didn't get done in the first week of school, because first of all, it doesn't matter, right? Second, I told you this was going to be a semester long intervention. And third, you nagging doesn't change the behavior anyway. Nagging is not a empirically defined intervention for ADHD. It's just not. So go get a pedicure, walk the dog, go (laughs) volunteer at the hospital, but you don't have to send us the list because we've got this, but yeah, but, but that's another thing that I think, and this is an important part of the middle part of the book, right? Like is when you are getting a diagnosis, ask, ask the neurologist, ask the psychiatrist, ask the clinic, ask the nurse practitioner, what are best practices for treatment for ADHD? Don't take this kind of, well, you could, or you could do this, or you could do that. We're not at a restaurant. We don't need a menu. You need to know as a parent, and this is, I think, the most important part of the middle of the book, what is scientifically based treatment for ADHD? What are the pieces I need to put in place? I mean, this is a meaty part of the book. This is, there's a lot in here, you know, how will ADHD get diagnosed? What other conditions often come along with ADHD? That's a question that we need to talk about. You know, what's the difference between a school diagnosis and an outside diagnosis? But this whole, when you're getting the evaluation done, asking questions. Don't let whoever it is that's giving you the diagnosis give you 20 minutes or a half hour. Make a follow-up appointment if you have to. Say, I need to bring Ethan in. We need to get seen again. I have further questions. But I would say out of that middle piece of the book about the during, one of the most important things that people don't know is that somewhere between 30 to 40% of kids only have ADHD. The other 60 to 70% have something else. Anxiety, depression, autism, a learning difference, tics. And you have to ask that question. So we're evaluating for ADHD. And if you're at the psychologist, they're going to do a pretty comprehensive evaluation. But you have to ask that question. What other things commonly come along with ADHD? What happens to a kid who has a learning difference and ADHD? How do I handle that? You know, looking at 
that specific child or teen? What about the kid who has a high IQ, a low processing speed, anxiety, ADHD, and sort of a personality trait of being a little bit rigid? Okay, well, that's going to entail an hour or two at the doctor's office to try to understand this is how that combination of brain wiring, right? Not behaviors, take that whole word out of your vocabulary. There are no behaviors here. There are symptoms and there's brain wiring, right? How, what do we do with it there? And that I think is the most essential question to ask during the evaluation. Have we looked at everything? Is there anything else going on? And that's what I love about the book because you walk, you walk parents, caregivers through it on what exactly to do. Because as you're saying that, it's so easy to feel reactive when your kid is going through this and you're so emotional and there's so much going on and you're helping parents to be proactive. Like, okay, this is what I'm going to do here. These are the questions. That's like you break it down in these little baby steps because otherwise it's so overwhelming and it's so confusing. And then I love what you said about getting out of the way. And moms, I've been there. I've been there. I've done that. It does not work. In fact, it backfires. They resist you. They don't want to do it because you're nagging, you're lecturing, you're on their back. We're sending them a message. They're not capable. Like we don't believe in them. I mean, it's, I've done all that and I know it does not work. And getting out of the way and getting that support is just so important, you know, knowing it's going to be a process, you know? Right. You know, what does any child need? What does any human being need? They need to know they're loved. And if we as parents every day are saying, you're not adequate, your work is not adequate, you haven't tried hard enough, that is not a message at 13, 14, 15 that you are loved and I am your parent and I will be here if you need anything, right? Like we're substituting school for the most important thing, which is the relationship and the connection at a time when risk taking goes up, when social pressures increase, you know, like we have to keep our eye on the ball here. What is it about? It's about your middle schooler, high schooler, even your college student knowing that they are loved just how they are. So get the coach and get out of the way. I tell parents, I'm not kidding you. I tell parents all the time, go get a puppy. (laughs) Go get a puppy. And don't expect your kid to walk it. You just go out and walk that dog. You might have to walk it five times a day to get out of the house and get out of the way, right? Exactly. (laughs) That's the great thing about the puppy. The puppy has to go to the vet. The puppy has to get fed. The puppy has to go for walks. The puppy's adorable. You can cuddle with it. The puppy loves you. Honestly, like maybe the next book is going to be why you should get a puppy when your kid has ADHD. (laughs) There we go. I love it. That's yeah. perfect. No, I'm serious. Uh, that'll be a bestseller too, because huh. we can all laugh too. We need we need some some humor in the midst of it. Yeah. Well, you ask a very good question, and you're touching on it. You answer. You ask the question: What causes ADHD? Is there something I did wrong? 
or could have done differently to prevent my child from having ADHD? Well, what would you say? Because that's, I think that's one of the reasons we get in there. We feel guilty. We feel like maybe we've done something wrong or we've caused it in some way. You're no, shaking your head. That's it's good. Genetics. It's genetics. Yeah. I mean, there's other little pieces of it, but it's genetics. You know, I mean, you know, you can, as co-parents, you can look at each other. You can say, eh, it's me. It's you. It could be both of us. It, it, it could be that neither one of us have it, but that, you know, three out of four grandparents have it, you know, and ultimately we go through this in my family all the time about the autism. Like where did the autism gene come from? Which side of the family has autism? You know, it doesn't matter, right? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who has the autism gene. It doesn't matter who has the ADHD gene. It doesn't matter who has the, you know, predisposition for anxiety and depression. You know why it doesn't matter? Because you love your child and this is how their brain is wired. And this is what you're going to want to do about it, right? That's section three of the book. What do you do after you have a diagnosis? What are the steps to take? What are the conversations to have with school? What's the conversation to have with your child about ADHD? You know, I mean, that is a pretty meaty part of the book as well, right? Is, you know, what do we do now? But one of the things we don't do is try to figure out why do they have this or where did it come from? Because it doesn't matter. You know, that's, it would be the same thing with the broken arm. Well, if he had just been, you know, one step further to the left, or, you know, if that ball hadn't been quite so fast, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It matters, right? What's evidence-based treatment? It matters. What is parent training and education for ADHD? What are we supposed to know, right? It matters. How do we teach kids these executive functioning skills, right? It matters. We have a whole section in here on how do you deal with middle school? How do you deal with elementary school? How do you deal with high school? Those are the things that matter. And yeah, what I'm saying is hard for some parents. Put your own stuff away. See a therapist. Join, you know, a parent's group. But when you're being your child's advocate, there's not space in that arena for your stuff about shaming and blaming and feeling bad. Because what you're called to do at that moment is to be an advocate for your child. And there's no one else that's going to do it. And that's why you need to know what are the questions to ask before, during, and after. Yeah, it's so good. I think when we're on, you know, when we're sad, when we're scared, we tend to ask the why question. We're looking for, you know, to blame, to like discharge that pain somewhere. And it's just not effective. It doesn't matter. And what? Every question you ask was what? Well, okay, what am I going to do to support my kid? What am I going to do to love this kid well and be able to get out of the way and appreciate their strengths? And and help them develop those strengths rather than focusing on what I wish was different, why it's not different. Right, right. Because, you know, that just takes us down a rabbit hole. And we can have those feelings, right? Yes, and, yes. and we and, will. Yeah. Right, right. And that's the place for parenting groups 
That's a place for therapy. You know, that's a place to find a buddy who has the same experience, but that's not, those are not the questions to be asking at the doctor, at the IEP meeting, at the nurse's office. That's when you need information. And, you know, the beautiful thing about focusing on the scientific information is that when you get deep enough into that, what you learn is that kids who are treated for ADHD, their outcomes are great, right? Mm -hmm. It's the untreated kid with ADHD that we worry about. And so I don't know, I'm so old. Remember that the more you, the more you learn, the more, you know, the more, you know, something I was, oh, some yeah, old, yeah, 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 yeah. I can't think yeah. of how it goes, <laughs> but in this case, the more you learn about the science of ADHD, the better you feel about the decisions you're making, the better you feel about the fact that, yeah, we now understand medication is first-line treatment. Yeah, we now understand we have to advocate at school. Yeah, we now understand that our kid might need a professional to teach them these skills, you know, and And the best thing that you learn is with treatment, your ADHD kid is going to grow up to have a bright and shiny future, just like a kid without ADHD. And that's what the science tells us. And when you get to that point, then you're like, okay, I learned enough. I know enough now because my kid is going to be okay. Yeah, I'm glad that you're offering that hope because that's what I experienced having uh, two of my kids diagnosed. It's like when you get that, start getting those answers and that treatment, everything starts to change Mm -hmm. and they get the support they need. And it it makes a huge, huge, huge difference in them being successful. My daughter ended up, she went on medication And, and well, and I just want to add, and if we don't, their confidence, you know, it's plummets because they're not able to be successful. And one of the things that the doctor said is she could not, she didn't have any blood flow going on in her prefrontal cortex. It wasn't like, she said, I am so relieved because everybody was telling me I was an underachiever and that I was capable of so much more. And she was actually kind of mad. She's like, now it makes sense. You know, so people are the teachers, like you're capable of so much more. And she ended up in college. She was tutoring college students that had ADHD at, in English because she's an amazing writer. And, you know, that was just so exciting to see her thriving. Right. And so, yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting. I don't have ADHD, but um, on the same lines of the underachiever and feeling like you're not achieving your potential and getting that feedback all the time. So I grew up in Michigan and the school cutoff was September 1st, like it is many places. My birthday is August 30th. Okay. You can't possibly be any younger in a class grade unless you're August 31st. Do you know what feedback I got the entire way through school with a gifted IQ and good grades? 
She doesn't live up to her potential. She doesn't live up to her potential. She doesn't live up to her potential. You know what that was? Social and emotional and intellectual immaturity. Sure, I was a genius. Didn't make any difference. I was the youngest kid in that class. There were kids who were literally a year older than me with September birthdays. They were living up to their potential, right? But I grew up with that same message. She's not living up to her potential, not because of ADHD, but because of age. And it feels really bad. That's still how I think of myself in some ways is you're not living up to your potential. Yeah, I have that too. And that's, yeah, those limiting beliefs that we, it's so hard to shake when you're an adult. Right? So let's avoid the whole thing. Look at you. You're you're, you're a doctor. Look at this thriving business, an author, speaker. I mean, and we can still feel that way, not living up to your potential. Still not. No. All the time. I'm like, oh, like you're an imposter. I mean, I so relate to all of that, partially because I'm a woman, partially because there were other people who were higher achieving or more ambitious. But I feel like that all the time, you know, like this isn't really you. This is luck or whatever, you know, imagine I don't know. I just think as parents, imagine if we consciously infused our children with the words, you are enough. You are exactly what this world needed. You with your ADHD are exactly what this world needs. And your ADHD is also not going to get in the way because mom has got the book and I'm going to ask all the right questions And we are not going to let this be an obstacle. And you and your strengths and your intelligence and your heart are enough. I said to my son the other day, he struggles with math. And I said, you know what, Ethan? It's never going to matter whether you're good at math or not, because there are so many other things that you are amazing at that all we have to do, listen, you're in seventh grade math. We got to get through seventh, eighth, ninth, 10th, 11th maybe 12th grade math, and then you're done. Then you can be done with math. And all you need are C's in math because your life, your gifts are not math, but you have so many of them, you're going to do a million amazing things. So don't beat yourself up over the math. And he kind of looked at me, he's like... But mom, you expect me to get an A. I'm like, I do kind of expect you to get an A because we have a tutor and because you can do it right now. But honestly, in the end, the conversation I want you to remember having is you are enough just the way you are. And I think that's the message all of our kids need to hear, but especially our kids with ADHD, with autism, with ADHD and autism and anxiety or dyslexia is we need to look at them straight in the eye and not say, you didn't turn this in, but rather you are enough and I love you how you are and you are going to be a raging success. Oh, so beautiful. I I just love it. And it's focusing on their strengths, not their weaknesses. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And, and that message that he got, what a huge, you know, difference that that is going to make in your son's life that he's getting that message from you. And, you know, because you're working with, 
I don't know how many over the last 20 years, thousands that you've seen, that's what they really need. And I know that just um, the listeners are going to feel so encouraged by that. I hope so. I, I, that's what we care about at my practice. And I think it's why, I think it's why we've grown, you know, we've grown primarily through word of mouth. We don't do really hardly any advertising. We have very little social media, but psychiatrists recommend to us, friends recommend to us, you know, and, and that's how we've gone in 14 years from being just me to the largest student coaching practice in the country, you know, um, with a specialty in these, you know, complex kids who not everyone, not everyone gets them. Um, yeah. 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 And you're opening our eyes. So before we end, I have one more question because this comes up all the time with my moms um, in the support group that, that I have. Um, their kid is resisting getting support. They want to get them coaching. They want to get them help. You actually answer this question in your book. And I thought it was very good. So could you just encourage them with what you share in the book? Sure. Now, now I have to think, okay, exactly. What did I um, say in the book about that particular, (laughs) this is what I would say. You would say, yeah, you were like, be curious about how they feel about it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So this is what I would say to a mom who's like, I I'm game, right? I'm, I'm ready. I'll sign up today, but my kid doesn't want any more help. I think first it's empathy with the child. I can see where you don't want any more help because what help has meant for you in the past is another person to meet with after school, another person to tell you you're not doing it right. Another person to tell you do it this way, another source of frustration. So first empathy, I get it. This might not feel like something that you want to do. Second, let's think for a minute, though. Is there any way that school could be easier or less stressful or our relationship could be better? Like, would it be worth taking a chance on coaching if school could be easier less stressful and our relationship could be better. Like, do you think that's possible? Like, and, and then a little bit more curiosity, like what's working for you right now? Does it feel good? Does how you're managing it feel good? And they may or may not be honest with you about this because at some point they start to cover this up, right? Because they don't want you to know that they don't feel good, right? It doesn't, it starts to feel too vulnerable. Um, And then I often say to parents, use Ross Green problem solving. You know, would you be willing to try this for a month and see what you think? I'm not asking you to love it. I'm not telling you it's going to be the answer. I'm not going to come home and say, this is the thing, you know, like you can't scare them like that. But just say, I met her. She seems like she knows what she's talking about. They see a lot of kids you know, is it something you'd be willing to try for a month? That's what I'd say. Love it. That's great. Yeah. 
That is good. That's so much more of a uh, just a val- start out by validating it and then being curious and asking some good questions and just try it. Try it and see if it make, helps you to feel better and you try it and I'll really work hard to get off your back. <laughs> you know? Oh, right. No, get me off your back. Well, that right there is sometimes those are the magic words, right? If you work with a coach, then I'm done. And they'll be like, sign me up. Yeah. Love it. Well, gosh, it's always so wonderful to have you on. And so Noreen, tell them where to find you and to get your book. And of course, I'll share all the links for, for you know, easy access. Yeah, for sure. So we're easy to find. Um, the website is russellcoaching.com. Now, the only thing is you want to make sure there's two S's and two L's in Russell. So russellcoaching.com. Um, The office phone number for people who like to call is 212-716-1161. We do have an Instagram at Russell Coaching LLC, but that's more like hints and Mm -hmm. things like that. If if you're a parent listening and you want to know more about coaching or you want to know more about what do I do or can I come and speak at your school or, you know, any of that stuff go to the website, russellcoaching.com. The book is available exclusively through Amazon and there is both a Kindle edition and a print edition. Um, In the Kindle edition, what we did was um, we made the list of questions PDFs. So you could take that directly to your practitioner. But, you know, anybody who's, who's watching our YouTube, this is a small book. You can fit this in your purse. You can take this to the doctor. You can read this book on your beach vacation and still get to the New York Times bestseller. It's not a long book. We didn't go into every detail of what is ADHD, what is the neurology all about. This book is about what questions to ask so you can be your kid's advocate. Yeah, and you link to so many good resources too. Oh, Oh my God. Did you notice that every single question we answer, right? We summarize and answer, but every single question in the book has a reference for more information. Yeah, it's fantastic. Great book. Well, thank you so much for coming on. And it's a pleasure as always. And thank you that you're doing this such needed work to support us with ADHD kids and our kids and to support them to yeah thrive in their lives. It's important because you know, you know what they say, you're only as happy as your least happy child. And so as moms, you know, we have to work this out. We have to figure it out. Dads are involved too. Um, but I want to thank you for having me on. It's always so much fun to come on and have these real authentic conversations with you about, you know, why does this matter and what does science say and how do we deal with our own feelings about all of this? And so I just, you're really such an enjoyable host and I want to thank you for having me on. Uh, Thank you. Thank you. I loved it. Well, that's it for today. And thank you, friend, for joining me. And if you would take 
just a minute and leave a review. If you are enjoying this podcast, I would so appreciate it. And you are a part of this movement. It's not just me sitting here. It's all of us are in this together. And the more that we can spread the love and let each other know that there's support available, it makes a huge difference in how we feel as moms. And And just knowing like, oh my gosh, what do I do in these different situations? And to say to another mom, hey, you know what? You're not alone in this. I'm going through the same challenge. And here's an episode that I listened to that I found so helpful. It just helps to spread that feeling that we're the only ones that are going through what we're going through. And I think it just needs to be this movement of us coming alongside of each other so that we can feel empowered and be the best moms and women that we can be and really help our kids to thrive. So have a great week and thank you so much. Thank you for leaving a review. Thank you for being here. I'm so grateful for all of you. And I will see you back here next week. It goes live on Tuesdays at 7 a.m. And I cannot wait for you to hear our next episode. So have a great week and I will talk to you soon.